People always ask how I balance my family life with 400 shows a year. I'm just doing what I love with the people I love. It's my magic life. I like Wes Isley. I like everything about him. All right. This week, I got uh, another friend of mine on. Last week, we had Craig Diamond. This week, we have his uh, partner in crime. That um, <laughs> They're separate magicians, but they're coming together for a certain event. I'll tell you more about it later. But he's an illusionist. He's an actor. He's a, a fun guy to be around. Man, I love hanging out with this guy. Just talking to him on the phone yesterday. I think we talked two hours just uh, hanging out, talking shop. But it's my buddy. It's John Westford. What's up, man? Doing good. Yeah, I I was taking care of babies yesterday when Wes was on the phone, but every once in a while I hear, I hear a little girl giggle, it sounded like, coming from the other room. <laughs> he was having a good time. How <laughs> are the little ones? They're doing good. They're doing good. I, I really can't complain. We were scared about having twins, but it hasn't been bad at all. It's, yeah, they're pretty easy, knock on wood. So That's great. Yep. Well... Introducing my audience to you, um, I, there's so much to go over. I mean, the conversation could have went another hour yesterday just during our pre-interview talk. But um, let's talk about uh, how you got started in magic, because I think that's really unique how uh, you and Craig have been together that long. So uh, let the audience that in. Is, that is pretty unique. Uh, growing up in a small town in central PA outside of Harrisburg, graduating class like 100 kids, uh, big event was a big event around here and Kurt was producing a show called The World of Illusion. He was uh, ahead of me in school. Uh, he had some great names on that stage. Uh, Del Rey, Mark D'Souza, Denny and Lee. Maybe uh, layman don't know them, but as a magician, Wes, you would, you would identify with them. Oh, absolutely. That's a, that's a great yeah. show. I want to see that show. Yeah, so there I sat wide-eyed as a kid with a magic kit and uh, just blown away and I found out come to find out the guy producing the show is uh, in the show and he's also a student at our school so very intriguing and I decided uh, one summer at the beach seeing a kid do a sleight of hand trick I wanted to figure out how to do that he wouldn't show me the secret of course so I worked on it the next couple days and before we left the beach uh, I think I had it couldn't find that kid but ran into him back here in town showed it to him he said oh wow that's great who taught you that i said well you wouldn't tell me so i worked on it and figured it out he said oh you gotta call craig and i said craig he said craig and he's i'm like oh this is the guy that produces world of illusion and so uh reached out and so began uh, i think almost three years of uh taking lessons off and on with craig wow and you're still with him today how many years later Yes, quite a few. Uh, actually, it's so, it's so cool because we he had been doing the ships. We had done some ships, but we were doing land dates as well. So we kind of here and there we might get together on a rare occasion. I think we did a showcase one time that was outside Atlanta uh, for his agent, cruise ship agent. Uh, but other than that, we were doing our own things, as you mentioned. You know, I was doing corporate shows, theater shows, some ships. He's uh, barely could get three weeks off and be home at all. They're on the ships, constant demand. And so, oh, here and there, we would reunite and do uh, some shows together here in our hometown called The World of Illusion, which is quite a kick. You know, that's the original concept that got my attention. And uh, pretty cool to do the show side by side with your mentor and the guy you watched who produced that show. Really, really cool. And yes, we uh, reunited again about five years ago for a theater project in the, out in Arkansas. And start promoting that all over the southeast. So that's been fun. But as you know, we're all in a pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people that when they... A young magician gets a mentor. It's somebody that's already past their prime. It's already somebody that's retired. Their sleight of hand skills are slipping due to, you know, arthritis or whatever. You got somebody that was up and coming... That was just awesome, and I could really show you the ropes, and you got to go along with them. That is so rare, man. Yeah, I mean, we I got to work with him one on one, and you're right, he was he was 
just hitting his stride. Uh, Playboy clubs, cruise ships, uh, New York gigs. He got big time management in New York City. I believe you guys t- touched on that in your podcast. Uh, and yeah, his philosophy was great too because he taught me early on it's got to be entertaining no matter what you're doing, whether you're playing piano or magic or sitting. You got to engage and entertain the audience. And he also taught me that I should never be in a situation where someone says, oh, you're a magician, show me something. And I say, God forbid, I don't have my stuff with me. Right, right. So he gave me that philosophy of background, sleight of hand. So I was prepared any time and anywhere, which was great. Well, you know him better than I do. I love the guy. I swear I do. I, I give him a hard time. He was he was uh, talking a mile a minute in our podcast. Natalie couldn't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> but I love the guy. But when he turns off, I mean, is he just done? Is he drained? Or is that him Man, he's, 24-7? He's just shot out of a cannon. He's fun-loving. You know, he, he's, uh, he's just, and his, you probably noticed his uh, laugh is so uh, contagious. Yes, <laughs> yes. Laughing. He could tell you something. He's very funny. But he could say something that's not funny, and by the time he's done laughing, you're laughing too. So he, he's, he's just, uh, he's larger than life. He's a lot of fun. And uh, I don't know if he turns off unless he's sleeping. <laughs> that's the question that's what i wanted to know yeah i, I tell you uh, i told natalie you know just the after parties these conventions is literally my favorite part yeah i like learning stuff i like you know the camaraderie but hanging out with you guys at the after party i mean it just it, it all turned on then you guys i had so much fun with you guys and i'm so glad we became friends and you guys are awesome thank you dude oh right back at you man yeah that's that's the really cool thing about the magic community getting together like that. And then, of course, sharing more stories and letting the hair down. I mean, how do you need it, right? We're all just sitting around yucking it up. It's yeah. So when you got started in magic, you, you met uh, Craig and everything, and you wanted to go into magic. How did your parents take it? My mom was trying to send me applications to get a real job. How, how did your parents take it? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I, was, I was going to college, but in college, I could sign out the Student Union Center with my college ID, which was about a 200-seat auditorium. So you know where this story is going. I, I was wow. spending more time in that auditorium than I was in class. <laughs> and I, I finally just, I was doing a lot of shows, you know, banquet shows and so on. And so and my joke is I managed to cram 75 credits, college credits in, in just five years. <laughs> so I, I, came, I, came, I came home. And had to sit down with the folks. And the day I told my parents that I wanted to leave college to do car tricks for a living, my mom cried. Aww. And while she was crying, my dad, the level-headed one, steps in. He says, okay, now wait a minute, Bonnie. He says, now look, John, he says, if you want to do this, this is a big step. You'll leave in college. You'll be coming off your mom's health insurance. And you got to make sure this is something you want to do. If you get a job, a full-time job with full benefits for one year, and you, after that year, you decide you still want to do this, pursue this, he said, I'll help you any way I can. So, off I went to get a job. I got a job at the State Senate in Pennsylvania, working up on uh, Capitol Hill, delivering inter-office mail. I was a messenger. And uh, soon that became quite a network for me. Uh, I was doing magic and comedy for all the senate fundraisers the pennsylvania bar association i even managed to make my way into governor rendell's inaugural ball which was a huge that was about ten thousand people and i was doing close-up strolling magic so you as a fellow magician will appreciate that Wes. wow try to get try to get around that room in three yeah hours, but right? at least you're tall and and you're a big dude i'm, I'm five foot nothing and I'm, I'm walking up to people and pulling on their coattails. Would you like to pick a card, sir? <laughs> they have to look down and stop what they're doing. Uh, yeah, so I, I was working there for the year, my, uh, my deal with my folks, and uh, stumbled on an addressing thing in, I think it was, might have been the Linking Ring. It was a magic publication looking for variety performers for Kings Dominion Music Park in Richmond, Virginia. And so I auditioned for that and got a job there for the summer, which turned into about, I think it was total about seven months, five shows a day, five days a week. So I thought if, I, if ever the show is tight and ready to go, this is it, I might as well give this a shot. So that's, that was the transition from a real job, quote, to 
trying to do magic, you know, throwing my hat in the ring for the magic world. <clears throat> wow. Well, your dad, that's, that's good advice because, you know, in the 25 years that I've been doing this, how many magicians have you seen get the magic bug really strong, throw tons of mag money at it, and then, you know, do one or two shows and then quit? So, yeah, I mean, he really, he, really, he really held my feet to the fire and said, hey, if you, you've got to show me commitment here, then I'll help you do it any way you want. And yeah. also, just for you, you, you should also prove to yourself that this is what you want to do. So Yeah, yeah. And the timing, the timing was great with that audition for the park, so that came through, and I got that job, and off I went. Wow. Well, how was the park? I mean, because summer shows outside can be pretty brutal. How was it? Great. Great question. I can tell you, you know, that's your uh, veteran question because that that is brutal. However, uh, this was a unique experience. Uh, very lucky to be part of it. They hire uh, a bunch of variety acts, as I mentioned, and normally that would be what they called atmosphere entertainment, scrolling through the park, like you said. But this was an experiment in a restaurant with a thrust stage, kind of a theater restaurant combo. Nice big room, holding a couple hundred people. And they, their idea was to put the atmosphere entertainers together for a show, you know, an actual show on stage. Half-hour show, you come in, grab lunch, watch the show, and then they want you back out in the park. And uh, so we had a singer MC, We had a juggler, incredible juggler, only 15 at the time. He had been Virginia State champ. And second place in nationals at 14 years old, wow. myself, and then a gentleman, uh, this guy was crazy, like Robin Williams crazy, Popo the Clown from Ringling Brothers, and we just had a riot. And the show, you know, we were on the chopping block, as it were, kind of an experimental show, but the show, you know, really a lot of fun. So it, it, it got a lot of traction and really really had a great time doing it although at some point five shows a day five days a week you know they had this little animatronic intro with music and if you played that music today i might i might give away any secret you want because <laughs> i just say turn that music off wow we had a great time I mean, there lots of lots of fun stories from that group <clears throat> well um well yeah go ahead and tell us some stories you got any uh war stories did you play with the guys, prank the guys, or do anything backstage? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, that's another veteran insight on your part. You, you can tell that uh, that well, would... Uh, if they become your friends, it's just, it's going to happen. Yeah, we're like, we're like brothers back there. And then you're just getting in that rut of pumping up, cranking out those shows every day. So, yeah, lots of pranks. Uh, the stage was three levels, and you would enter at the top level through double doors... That part was small, then you'd step down a little bigger area and then step down even bigger area. That area was four feet off the ground, but thrust into the audience, the restaurant. And so the pranks abounded. Uh, the juggler, who I mentioned, was just a teenager. He was he was the instigator, if, if there was one. He, he, would, he would tell you things like your flies down before you went through those doors to do your show. He would talk <laughs> through those doors if you did anything up top. He would... Uh, I did a trick you'd be familiar with, Wes, called the Doves to Rabbit for the finale of my act. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One day I made four white, beautiful white Java doves turn into a giant red boa. Oh, oh no. My. Oh no. Yep. Yep, that was one of his pranks. So, uh, <laughs> he's he's really he's really overstepping his boundaries now, sneaking into the actual content of the show. So he would do a, a bit with a five ball juggling on the ground. So he would start juggling five balls, bouncing them off the ground instead of throwing them in the air. Beautiful. And it would cascade like a waterfall. And then he would kneel down all the way down to the floor, looking at the audience for his applause cue without seemingly not even seeing these balls. He's still looking right through them at the audience. And so that was done by Cadence. These were giant. I called them field hockey size Super Bowls <laughs> as they bounced off that floor he would listen to the cadence so Papa and I got up behind the double doors and we did a little extra stomping to help him with his rhythm uh. never bother us again in the show oh <laughs> man well I'm still stuck on this boa what did you do when you produced a boa instead of a bunny did I you presented it very 
very uh, professionally and wrapped it around uh, <laughs> the MC's neck as he took my cage off the stage. <laughs> I had some other options, but uh, none that a family showed. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Wow. Well, how uh, was how was the doves? We also we. I'm how sorry, was... I want to tell you what we got, uh, Papo. Oh yeah, please. Papo was such a, an incredible talent. Uh, he would do his portion of the show. It was a half hour show. We did about eight minutes, and the MC sung some songs and would bring us on and off. When he would introduce Papa the Clown, Papa would come through the audience carrying a footlocker, you know, bumping into people, not hurting anyone, but bumping into people. He, he might, and this, this is a long time ago, but he would grab someone's drink and have a sip. Uh, currently, that would, be a, that would be a whole disaster. But those days, he would walk through the audience and just mess with everybody he could. And when he got on stage, he'd take the footlocker, act like he slammed it on his big toe. Which wasn't hard. He had those giant clown shoes on. He'd open up the top of the trunk, and I won't do a very good pop for you, but he would say, "Let's see what's in here." Hmm. And he'd open the thing and he'd say, "Stuff!" Putting that sh in with the stuff, and then he'd look at the audience, and he did his eight, nine. We'd have to try to get him off there in ten if we could. Basically, Robin Williams meets Carrot Top, and I mean, it was hysterical. He had all these funny props, and he was nuts, and this and that. So we thought, well, he's been in on a, plenty of these pranks over the course of the four or five months. <laughs> We're going to take all his stuff out of there and replace it with stuff we can find backstage. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the introduction comes. Here comes Papa through the crowd, making his merry way, having fun. Gets on the stage, opens the trunk. Let's see what we have in here. Oh! Different stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy did nine minutes and killed him. <laughs> That's funny. Jokes yeah, on you guys. Said, <laughs> uh, we, we, yeah, it was, it was a great time. Did he get all that training from uh, Ringling Brothers? I mean, he was, he was just ready to go for the improv. His backstory was he, his family moved here from uh, Austria and landed in uh, Florida. Not far from the Ringling Brothers Clown College. Wow. Excuse me for laughing when I say it. But he was in the principal's office quite a bit. And the principal decided to relay some advice to him about getting a job. So Papa literally ran away with the circus. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. No, he was great. And boy, did he have some, he had some worse stories to share with us. Now, where is he at now? Do you know? He has retired to Hawaii. Wow. Oh, nice. Wow. So here I sit with the blizzard on its way, and uh, I get to see his beautiful pictures. I think they're in Kauai, to be specific. Him and his wife post these beautiful pictures every day. So, yeah. Well, after King's Dominion and all of that, you got on the cruise ships? So next, I auditioned for a, another gig that came out through the Linking Ring and other uh, magic publications called Unlock the Magic with Oreo Cookies. I need to read my linking ring more thoroughly. You're getting all these auditions <laughs> out of it. Well, this has been a while. Now. This, <laughs> is, this is going back. And uh, so that was an audition process. They needed magicians to do magic with Oreo cookies for kids. It's a big promotion to sell. So you would get a territory. And I think my territory was about a half or more, maybe two-thirds of Pennsylvania. Wow. And you would... You could, it was interesting gig. You would go to different. You would go to a grocery store in the morning and one in the afternoon. It might be a show in the parking lot, where it might be just show on the side pulling cookies out of the kids' ear to draw attention. It had a giant, had a life-size cookie character Oreo that would go with you. Uh, my, one of my best buddies growing up, he was a 225-pound college rugby player power lifter i talked him into being my cookie for the extra money <laughs> <laughs> so he would be in these supermarkets and these women these uh <laughs> these housewives would leave their phone number for the cookie because he was dressed in a leotard and skin tight white <laughs> leggings with a big oreo cookie costume so over the top so they would see his legs and leave their phone number <laughs> wow there's got to be, there's got to be some, there's got to be more material there, you know, with, uh, with the cookie. But I, I won't, I digress. Uh, 
So we did these shows, and that was that was a hoot. One time we were we were out pretty late the night before, and had to get had a pretty good drive to our first show in the morning. And so we decided, well, we'll just go get breakfast and some coffee, and we'll drive. Won't be any traffic uh, early morning hours. We'll get there early and just catch some Z's in the car. <laughs> so we do that. That way we're not lost. It's like two hours to this finish. We get there, middle of the night, kick our feet up. Alarm goes off on my buddy's watch, and he sits straight up, and he says, Son of a... And I look at him, and I say, What's going on? He goes, I think I forgot the costume. And I look in the back. <laughs> that, that Oreo cookie shell, it's like a four-foot diameter cookie that is thick enough to put over a person. It's in this big brown duffel bag. I got pulled over speeding one time with that big brown duffel bag. That's a whole other story. But anyhow, I say, no, there's the cookie. He goes, no, no, I think I forgot my leotard and my tights. Uh-oh. Oh, gosh. I'm like, oh, no. So I said, well, I'm looking around. And I think it was one of the department stores like JCPenney or something not too far from us. So we go over there shopping. I'm in there looking for a leotard and leggings. <laughs> For a 250-pound man. Right. And the sales girl comes over, college girl, and she says, hey, how you doing today? I said, no, how are you? She goes, can I help you with anything? I said, yeah, I'm just looking here for brown leotard and white leggings. And she goes, she says, well, what size is your girlfriend? I said, you tell me. She says, no. You muffled. I couldn't hear you. What, what was it? I'm sorry. I was laughing. I said, <laughs> she said, what size is your girlfriend? I said, you tell me. And I pointed to my 225 pound rugby player, buddy, standing beside me. I can't tell. You tell me what size it is. Yeah, so we, we all had a good laugh. And uh, we bought the body the bodysuit and the leggings. And I didn't know what else to do. So as soon as we finished paying, I grabbed my buddy's hand and skipped out of there. <laughs> so you're doing, you're doing a podcast saying you're embarrassed to do the cookie the cookie thing, but you think he's talking about being a cookie on his podcast? Yeah, hey, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he went into real estate, so he, he's, he's retired from being a cookie. Wow, <laughs> wow. So uh, how long did the cookie thing last? So that was uh, six weeks, and then we, as you, when you were selected as part of that, you got to submit a seven-minute uh, video of your act. For a chance to perform with Harry Blackstone Jr. in Atlantic City, and you couldn't you couldn't do big illusions or talking pieces because that's Harry. You know, you don't want to talk with Harry Blackstone anyway, right? He, uh, he had the perfect wow. voice. Yeah. yeah, incredible. And I would, you know, you could listen to him for hours. And then he had the big grand illusion show, so that was fine. But what was really cool is, as we just talked about, the summer before that, I was doing my Dove Act five times a day, five days a week. It was super tight, and it was about it was about that long, seven, eight minutes. So I submitted that and was very, very honored and privileged to win that contest and perform with Harry in the Miami City. Wow. Wow. Very cool. How, how was he to work with? Got to be one of the nicest human beings you ever met. I mean, the guy traveled the world, you know, TV show, TV appearances, all the greatest theaters, Atlantic City, Vegas, four doctorates, spoke 13 languages. Four doctorates? I didn't know this. What what was his doctorate in? Do you know? I, I couldn't tell you. I apologize. I no, no, I that's that's amazing. I didn't know that. I know when, I know when we were in uh, Atlantic City, he was speaking to the wardrobe, uh, Vietnamese wardrobe guy, not only in Vietnamese, but in his dialect from his village. Wow. Which just blew my mind. Wow. So for you guys that don't know, Harry Blackstone Jr. had a booming voice. I mean, he just he had the best voice in the business. I, I, you have to just look him up. Go to YouTube, type in Harry Blackstone Jr. But he was in a, his father was one of the most famous magicians in the world, Harry Blackstone Sr., who competed with Harry Houdini for billing and theaters and they didn't even like being in the same town together because uh yeah they would fight for tickets so 
Uh, it was a dynasty of magic, and Harry Blackstone reluctantly, I'm told, took over that dynasty and uh, did really well with it, but he didn't want to do it because he had such shoes to fill with his dad. Yeah, that, that voice, he would, he could, he'd have the whole audience in his hand. I don't care what he was talking about, you were there, you know, imagine, he just kind of took over. Incredible. I had a, I had a, uh, a problem when I was younger, just thinking about, you know, with my, I had glasses, I, I got glasses in high school, and I'm like, man, I can never be a good magician with glasses. I, I gotta get contacts, mom. If I want to be a good magician, if if I was a real magician, mom, I'd be able to fix this problem right here. And I'd point <laughs> to my glasses. And then I saw an uh, old tape of Harry Blackstone. I'm like, forget it. So I have promo pictures of me in glasses at 19 years old because I'm like, if Harry could pull it off, he can. You, you can do anything in magic. Ah, uh, that's yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Super nice, super nice guy. Like down to earth, just gracious, hospitable. Uh, we had, we had a problem with, the one night there was a problem with, I was supposed to get some comp tickets for my family coming to AC to see the show. There was a problem, so I went backstage. It was only, I'd even been an hour and a half or so before a curtain. There was a little bit of a panic, but I thought, well, I'll go see the stage manager, Alan Bracken. Went back to see Alan, and Harry had the whole crew in a meeting. They were trying to resolve a uh, troubleshoot a problem, and... I felt a bit terrible interrupting. I didn't know what to do. They saw me, and I said, well, I'll just check with Alan. I'll let you guys finish up. Harry said, no, it's fine. What do you need, John? I said, oh, it's a ticket thing. I'll, I'll take it up with Alan. I don't want to bother you guys. And Harry said, take five, stop the meeting, got on the phone, called over to the will call, you know, the ticket window, and they were trying to figure it out, and it wasn't working. He said, well, we'll, we'll be right over. So Harry Blackstone Jr. walked me out through the theater, past the people waiting to get him to see his show, and to the window to get my get my family's uh, tickets. I mean, that's the kind of guy this guy was. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. Now, your Dove yeah. Act, was it highly influenced on Craig's Dove Act, or was it different, or did he teach you that Dove Act? Or? It was a good mix and match. I had, uh, if you remember the Doves from Air trick where you catch, a, you know, an invisible Dove from the air in a cage, that was, that was Craig's. Uh, Craig certainly had a lot of influence initially with teaching me uh, some of the dub moves that I don't want to, I can't tip too much here. Things you would know, Wes. Uh, the part of the dub act that you wouldn't use props for. Let's, right, let's right. go that way to keep it. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To keep it in code. And then uh, I was I was really influenced by seeing Joseph Gabriel. Wow, yeah. Uh, on TV. And that, that summer, those months I had into the, from the spring, summer, and into the fall at King's Dominion, I mean, I could get in there at 10 in the morning. We'd do our shows all afternoon. But I'd get in at 10 and have several hours to kind of try things. And then I'd have five audiences that day to run whatever that new thing was. So I decided I was going to work on the uh, dove split. And for those of you listening, that's where you take a dove roll your sleeves up and double-handedly split, seemingly split the dove into two of moves. Yeah. And I worked on worked on that for weeks and then tried it for weeks in the show. So uh, a lot of it was, yes, originally stuff Craig taught me and then a few things that I picked up along the way and got to, I had that incredible luxury of trying something new and running it five times each day, you know what I mean? Well, that's cool that they let you try out different things. I mean, obviously, I mean, Pippo the Clown didn't have a choice when you stole his props, but as far as the magic show, you know, people, people, usually management gets upset when you change your act. I hired you for that act. Now you're doing something different. Uh, you know, that's not ready. I want you to go back to the other thing. It's cool that you guys had the luxury to try out new material. Well, good point. And I, they did hire me for the dub act. That's how I auditioned. And I thought at first, maybe I'm crazy for schlepping these down to do the audition, but I sure was glad I did it. And I didn't try that initially. You know, we were a couple months in where we had success and things were going well. And I'm also, you know, I'll work on it and work on it and work on it before I put it in. So, but yeah, they did give me some latitude. You're right. Wow. So, um, so after, after that, after the Harry Blackstone thing, that's when you got on the cruise ships? Yeah, Blacks, working in Atlantic City with Blackstone was a big help with, uh, with the agents and, 
and creating a little buzz. That got that got me some attention in AC and some uh, cool corporate gigs in New York, and also the cruise ships. Now, it wasn't just Harry. You got to give a lot of credit to Craig and his wife. They helped us, my wife and I, get our foot in the door with the ships. And the way they did that, Craig was always talking to his agent about what we were doing, keeping keeping our posts on, you know, what progress we're making. But the Harry Blackstone thing was really, I think, a good selling point, like saying, hey, John's made it to this this level or whatever, however you want to describe that. But it was also him, you know, putting in a good word for us, letting us fill in. And we didn't have enough material at the time. You needed two different half-hour shows, I think 35 minutes to be exact. And Craig and his wife were gracious enough when they took a break for the holidays. You know, they they really they really put in a good word for us to fill in for them and made that happen. But not only made that happen, they were nice enough to leave some of their uh, props on the ship. Uh, with wow. detailed instructions on how to, you know, the care and handling, and also arranged for us to have uh, almost a full week of rehearsal before we had to do their show. In other words, we were doing our show that we were doing at the time, and then a mix of what they were doing with some of the stuff I was doing for the second show, if that makes sense. Wow, that I is... Have, I, I didn't have enough, prop, enough of the material or props to do the second show without Craig's help. So that was very... I mean, that was... I, I like Craig before, but I mean, he just keeps getting better and better. He what a what a cool dude to just leave his props there for you to. That's you know who does that? Everybody's everybody's clawing to get to the top. So why would they want to make you look better? That yeah, just shows you how secure he is in the business and everything. You know that's that's what I like about him. For sure, yes, yes. Wow, wow. So uh, I saw on your website that you had all these different movies that you've been in as well. When did you have time to do this with cruise ships and Atlantic City dates and all that other stuff? When did the acting come into play? So in 2008, with the with the recession, that hit the ship industry pretty hard. And we were in a pretty good rotation with the ships, you know, out, out a week or two, home a week, out 10 days, home a week out three weeks home a week you know that kind of thing it was it was fairly steady we had worked our way up from those days of filling in for craig we had worked our way up to where we were part of the rotation and we were on a run in the mediterranean and there were there were no emails coming no what's happening we're not sure what's next well we got off the ship in italy and flew home and there was just no work i mean everything was just boom done and I think Craig would even tell you he would he'd be lucky to have three or four weeks the whole year home off. But he even he had long runs at home. It just hit so hard. And so I came back here. There weren't any corporate gigs either. They had kind of dried up at the moment. Uh, my cruise ship gigs. Eh, I thought, well, I got to kind of what am I doing? What am I going to do? friend of mine at the time had quit his job and was going into acting, asked me to ride along to Philly to, to see an agent. And it, when I was waiting for him, I got talking to somebody at the agency and told them they, they were curious about the magic and this and that. And then they were telling me about commercials, how they're always looking for special acts and stuff like that and so on and so forth. Long story short, uh, I signed up with that agency and started doing some background work to see if I liked it. You know, they said, you got to try this if you like it being on the set, you know, because it's not all glamorous. Some of these shoots are 14, 15-hour days. Very boring. Yep. It's a lot of hurry up and wait here and there. Uh, so as that kind of progressed, I didn't know this, but my first job was on a show, a movie called The Last Airbender with M. Night Shyamalan directing, and they needed uh, tall guys with martial arts training to be these warriors in these epic battle scenes. So there was like a couple hundred of us fighting each other in the background. And I worked on that for like 29 days. Talking with some other actors from L.A., I didn't realize how unique this was. You know, if you if you are a special ability, you get a waiver. So you don't have to pay the union. You don't have to become a SAG member, but you'll get all the benefits of being in SAG. For, you know, it's kind of like a free pass since you're doing something, you're contributing your part. 
And then once you have so many of those, you're eligible to join the Screen Actors Guild. And once you have, I think it's nine, you must join. You can no longer get the free pass. You don't, you don't have to join. But if you're going to get those, uh, that scale and that treatment, then you've got to join. You've had your, you know, your free memory and sample, if you will. So I'm talking to this guy from L.A., and he's like, I've been in L.A. for five years. I'm trying to get my third waiver. You already got 29 on your first job. And I had nine. So that, that kind of put me off to the races. I had my car. I started work. I, I got in with an agency in New York City and one in Philly. And then they were just, yeah, it was TV shows and movies, background. Sometimes you'd get a featured spot. Uh, I was in the movie It's Complicated, pretty featured spot, sitting between, between Merle Streep and Alec Baldwin for a, a scene where they reunite, their characters reunite. Uh, and then, you know, I did a commercial, uh, a speaking role in a commercial that played in movie theaters nationwide, but I wasn't union yet, so I just got paid one time. I didn't, I didn't get the residuals, but that would have been nice. But, uh, what was the commercial? Later. What was the commercial? It was for, uh, it was a public service announcement about locking your keys in your car. It was me in a talking car. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Just a quick little thing they would show in theaters, and friends would... You know, they call me. Hey, I saw your, I saw your car commercial or whatever. Yeah, there you go. Wow. So yeah, but That's yeah, neat. Then, so I, I just kept. I think it's, I think it's probably maybe a dozen movies, dozen TV shows. So it kind of helped fill in those holes when I was trying to get quicker gigs. You know, kind of make ends meet. Well, it said on your website that you were in uh, Creed Two as well. How was that? Well, that was that was kind of fun because. You know, these, these background parts, Wes, can go anywhere from, you know, a couple hundred people in the background. They need atmosphere, people walking on a city street, people in a stadium, people. Like in Creed, they, they had scenes where you had 200 extras to do the fight, the boxing scenes, you know. But I was, I got a call from my agent, and she's like, hey, you available next week? I got a great spot for you. It's a room service waiter. I think I can get you a couple lines. And when you get the, your scene and heard, they call them, you get lines, then you'll get a contract. You get paid much. You get paid great to do background, but you get paid much better. And then you'll get a residual check every time that movie or TV show or commercial runs. So I was pretty excited. I get down there. I go through uh, wardrobe, makeup. I'm sitting. We were shooting at a hotel in Philly. Again, I'm supposed to be a room service waiter delivering food to... Uh, Michael B. Jordan's character, uh, I think it's Adonis Creed, and I'm sitting in the catering area with, getting a cup of coffee, and Michael B. Jordan had just been in there that he was a super nice guy, talks to everybody, takes time to say around, just super down to nice guy. You're breaking up a little bit. Okay. There you go. Super, super nice guy, down to earth. Takes time to talk to everybody. He he walked into the catering area and was talking to all of us. Had a nice chat with him. He left. In comes the production assistant to check on me and says, John, we're just about ready. You look so serious. Is there something wrong? And I think I was trying to figure out. Uh, there was a phone call I had to make that day, and I couldn't, couldn't remember what I did with the number, if it was in an email or whatever. And I said, no, I'm good. She says, no, you look, you look like something's bothering you. So I thought, well... I'll just have a little fun. I'm, she's not believing me. So I said, yes. Now that you mention it, I said, I'm a little upset. She said, what's wrong? I said, well, my agent told me I'd be working with Michael Jordan on this movie. <laughs> and so the guy behind her, she just looked at me with a blank stare. She didn't get it. And the guy behind her from electrical department, he kind of spit his coffee out laughing. He says, don't you get it? Michael Jordan, the basketball player. Michael B. Jordan, the star of our movie. And she goes, who's Michael Jordan? He goes, oh, my. One of the greatest NBA players ever. She's like, mm. He goes, Space Jam. She goes, oh, that's Michael Jordan. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so we had a good laugh about that. Oh, wow. Well, how was, uh, how was it working with Alec Baldwin? Oh, it was it was a riot. He's, he's funny and crazy and and just, I mean, he, he was he was cracking jokes. They're ready to roll the camera. He's cracking jokes. If, if any one of us did that, we might be sent home. <laughs> He'd say, oh, we're rolling. Okay, all right, all right, cut. Back to one, you know. He just had this, he was, 
he was a lot of fun to work with. He was nice to everybody, but his attorney, he was on the phone screaming at his attorney. He was going through the divorce at that time with uh, Kim Basinger. Oh, no. And, yeah. And super nice to all of us and all the crew. Uh, we, in between takes, he'd say that we, we, two of us were working pretty close. We were between him and Meryl Streep at the bar for this scene where they were reading the And he would always turn to us and say, Hey guys, you need anything from Starbucks? My assistant's running out. I mean, just super nice to everybody. So, a lot of fun. Just as funny off camera as on. Well, you told me a story about um, him being stalked. (laughs) So, as we mentioned earlier, long days on the set. And, you know, you make small small talk and chit-chat, everybody talking about what they do. I met a, a buddy of mine on that set. He's an independent director from New York. So, we got talking about magic and this and that and he was intrigued by it and I was showing him a little magic out in front we were shooting at a, a high end Italian restaurant on the Hudson River uh, he he we're outside taking a break gets fresh air and he's like well can you show me something while we're doing a break I said sure so I was showing him some magic and I'm telling you that one of the largest uh, most intimidating turns out nicest guys you ever meet Says from behind, over my shoulder, Whoa, what'd you just do, man? Let me see that again. Here it was Alec Baldwin's bodyguard. I mean, this is a large African American man, and I'm like, Whoa, this guy, he's like, a, he loves magic. He's like a little kid watching the magic, and he, he calls over his body another equally large, intimidating dude who's been hired to uh, be Meryl Streep's bodyguard. And now I'm doing close up magic for these guys, and all of a sudden, there's a lot of commotion at the front door to the restaurant to go on set. And lo and behold, here's a lady who had been stalking Alec Baldwin during the entire shoot. She's making her move. She's She saw Alec go in, and now she's bum-rushing the restaurant, trying to get in, get a hug, a kiss, something autographed, whatever. And she is, she is out there. And I thought, to my, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, am I finally... Am I going to be known all over New York City, near the country, as the magician who distracted the bodyguard while the stalker attacked Alec Baldwin? <laughs> all because of an ambitious card, you know? Exactly. Oh, wow. Exactly. Wow. Well, um, dude, that's, that's pretty awesome. I mean, you've had, a, you've had a pretty awesome run, man, working with all these celebrities and, and, and Harry Blackstone and... Just everything, the cruise ship industry, and your introduction I, with with Craig. I mean, yeah, I am blessed. Yeah, I am blessed. And Craig, Craig was yeah, what what a uh, lucky break to run into Craig. Two of us coming out of this tiny little town in Central PA, and then then with Craig's network of friends, perhaps the lay audience. Again, I apologize; they might not know these names, but you would know. That gave me access to Mark D'Souza, Denny, and Lee. Del Rey, all these guys that I could either watch them work or become friends with, and, and you know how the community is, they're there for advice and stories, and so yeah, very, very blessed, yeah, very lucky. Wow. So, I had Craig on last week, and he was talking about the, the gig that you guys have together. Now, you guys had a theater in Wisconsin? Where, where was that theater at? So, that that particular theater was in uh, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Arkansas, Arkansas. Yeah, beautiful old theater that they put a lot of money in to restore. But, you know, the, it's just a struggling area. They've got a lot of uh, political and uh, industrial and other problems. Uh, it, was a, uh, it was a boom in town back in the day. You know, it's kind of at the crossroads of the country. Beautiful old vaudeville theater restored. A million dollars poured in there. We were just trying to make make something happen with the bus tour industry. We were getting some traction. Uh, like I said earlier, we were flying all over the all over the country promoting the show and the theater at motorcoats conventions. You know they have these big trade shows where you book all these tours for your attraction, whether it's an amusement park or a, a hotel or a resort or a theater. And so we had we had been working on that, and that was 
happily entitled The World of Illusion. So we that was kind of an exciting, fun project. We got to fly around and have fun promoting it. And, of course, that uh, that's kind of gone by the wayside, various issues, including the pandemic. So Yeah. Well, I saw it was either on your page or Craig's page, just like 67 pictures and a post of you guys putting the work in and bringing that thing back from what it was to a, a beautiful theater and man what a you guys put a ton of work into it and it turned it around and it looked it looked amazing it looked really cool yeah the yeah, the couple the couple that owned it they they put their uh you know the gentleman retired and they put their life's uh uh saving it was like a past, uh, labor of love they put all this money and effort in it and then we came into town we it took us weeks to get you know all the technical issues worked out hanging curtains and and we had a very successful uh, grand open, VIP grand opening for the the folks at South Central Motor Coach Association, which was pretty cool. You know, bus tour companies from uh, all over the southeast of the country. I think we had 12 states represented and probably four dozen motor coach companies. You know, they could have anywhere from 12 to 100 buses, really. And uh, so, yeah, we, we made some headway, that's for sure. Well, now you guys are doing the the virtual thing because of the pandemic and all this craziness. And um, I know you guys, you guys have put more forethought into your setup than I think any other magician. I mean, because you guys have lighting and sound and backdrops and trying to do it from two different states. I mean, you're you're twelve hundred miles away from each other, and you're going to be in the same show, and it's going to be. daunting for me to think about um you know we've done our virtual shows in our living room we have one coming up where we're, we're going to be on stage doing our illusion show and they're going to run the cameras for us we don't have to do any of that stuff but i can't imagine trying to get it from pennsylvania to florida and making it go seamlessly how's all that going it's a challenge i'll tell you the things you give up uh, where you're not doing a live show hands-on live show you do gain some things with the technology, and it's kind of a fun change of pace. The creative challenges that you're that you're listing there, not only the tech logistics, but also to try to make it an interactive experience for the uh, the guest. You know, you want it to feel, you know, it's a live show, so we want it to be as interactive as possible. Involve as many folks as we can, make you feel like you're part of it. And on, in addition to that, another thing I discovered. There are certain tricks you do close up. You might know, Wes, like the rubber bands, the penetrating rubber bands. The thing you gain here is the person holding the rubber band when you make them go through each other, they're the only one with that view. Now, thanks to the my wife standing behind the camera and putting her hands forward to be your hands while you're watching at home, yeah. everybody in the audience gets that, that prime seat that great view so you do gain some things uh, that's like repeating the, other, the trick a hundred times I mean that's all exactly. at once yeah that's yeah, really so, cool yeah that's a good idea so there, are little, there are things you gain now you also gain the idea it's kind of cool as you mentioned Craig will be in Florida I'll be in Central PA and we can have guests from all over the world so that's kind of cool there are a lot of the learning curve is massive learning how to you know lighting and sound and video and sharing screens and switching back and forth making sure everyone can see if we if we're going to interact for a few minutes with somebody from the audience making sure they are highlighted along with us so you can see their interaction so there are lots of challenges and and when is your show coming up so the show is tomorrow night thursday the 17th at seven o'clock we are in the middle of uh, we're beginning to see some snow coming down pretty good in the northeast here and the forecast is anywhere from 12 inches to 24 inches so uh, you know keep an eye on our website and social media should we have to change anything we'll, we'll let everybody know that way but uh, tomorrow night seven o'clock december 17th and it's uh 20 bucks a household yes great bargain wow anyone you know your whole family can watch it from the comfort of your living room for 20 bucks and you can get tickets going through our website, The World of Illusion. The is important in there, the, T-H-E, worldofillusion.com. 
And then your Thanks, Facebook sir. page? Facebook page, uh, John Westford or Craig Diamond. Both of us will have posts about uh, the show. And it, well, so, you know, we have teasers on there. We have a teaser trailer, some photos, some more information. I'm going to have to check it out. I'm going to have to get a ticket to this show. I just, I just want to hang out with you guys, see some magic. Anyway, we, yeah, we, we, uh, I do miss that, having the, uh, having the conventions. Uh, we'll just have to, uh, we'll have to wait till next year, I guess. But that, that was a lot of fun. Look forward to it again. All right, man. Will you have anything else to let us know or tell us about? No, I think that'll do it. Like I said, the World of Illusion for tickets to the show. And any updates we have to post uh, regarding if this weather becomes an issue, we'll, we'll, they'll be the first ones to know. I think that's pretty good, man. I, I mean, we have listeners from all over the world. You guys are selling tickets, you know, all over the country. So people in California, they're not worried about snow. So I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, are you selling through Eventbrite? We are, through Does- Eventbrite. Does that tell you where they're, where the tickets are being sold? I mean, you, you might have to find out, you know, if, if a bunch yeah, were sold in PA. I think, I think the big, the only concern we would have would be um, a power outage, you know, if that would... That oh, would for stop. you, for you, yeah, I guess. the show, that would be, but uh, right. we'll, we'll keep everybody posted online. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, all right. Well, dude, thank you so much. You are so fun to hang out with. I had a great time yesterday. I had an awesome time today. And um, we'll get you back on. This is this has been so much fun. You and Craig are awesome. I'm so glad I met you guys. Thank you, thank you hey, for everything, thank, man. Thank you, Wes and Natalie and Wes. Uh, to, before I go, I wanted to congratulate you one more time on your uh, very successful pen and teller. That was we're all very proud of you, buddy. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. And and uh, right back at you. We love hanging out with you. Look forward to the next time we can get together in person. All right, if you ever want to come to King's Dominion and just uh, relive your old stomping grounds, I'm only 40 minutes away. You can come hang out here. There you go. For old time's sake, we'll get down there. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Hey, (laughs) stay on the line, man. I'm going to wrap everything up and um, stay on the line real quick. Okay. All right. Well, that was uh, John Westford, guys. Uh, Check out his show. I'm telling you, you heard Craig last week. You heard John this week. They are funny guys. They are awesome magicians. And, uh, I mean... Craig's 30 years in the uh, cruise ship industry. Uh, John did 15 years. They don't let you stay on a cruise ship if your act sucks. They get you off pretty quick. (laughs) So um, these guys are awesome. They're really great magicians. Check out their show, uh, theworldofillusion.com. To see our upcoming public shows, just check out our um, events page on our website, wesisley.com. And tonight on Jewel TV, episode 14, it's just called Black Friday, will air at 7 p.m. Eastern on Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire, Jewel TV app, and tons of other places. It's in over 100 million households. Just look for it. You'll find it. See See you you next week. week. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Express Copy and Graphics. Mention promo code Wes Isley to get 10% off. Their website is expresscopy.com. That's X-P-R-E-S-S dash c-o-p-y dot com they do it all copies banners signs vehicle wraps promo items practically anything you need printed they can do it for you these guys are great check them out check us out online at wesisley.com and patreon.com forward slash wes underscore isley for behind the scene videos blooper videos never before seen footage discounts on merchandise magic trick tutorials and more That's Wes Isley, spelled W-E-S-I-S-E-L-I.